Hi and welcome to the Mount Hamilton Baptist Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. For more information, go to mhbc.ca. Uh, this morning's scripture reading is uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 1 uh, to 19. Uh, that can be found on page 897 on your church Bible. Uh, and if you're using an app, uh, I'm reading from the NIV. Uh, for the sake of brevity, I will be skipping verses 16 to 18. Again, that's Acts chapter 15, 1 to 19. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. When some of the believers who belonged to the party of Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that this... Sorry, brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of Lord Jesus that we were saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. All right, when I was, uh, when I was younger, I went to an event called Fridays uh, with my youth group. And what it was was a bunch of youth groups around my hometown uh, in Norwich. And we would all get together. It was a Youth for Christ event. We'd get together and uh, we'd have this big youth event once a month on a Friday. The goal kind of being that you could kind of see that there were plenty of other kids your age who were kind of doing the same thing as you, uh, trying to live out being a Christian in school, and you didn't feel quite so alone. Now, I used to love these events uh, for a bunch of reasons. It was my first real experience of seeing uh, kind of Christian rock bands. I loved that. It was the first time I saw uh, the preacher in jeans. Uh, So so that was kind of a couple of reasons why I liked it. Uh, One thing I didn't like about it, though, was that it always started off with an icebreaker. And so I would turn up and the fear of hearing the words, go and find someone you don't know, would just hang over me. To the point that me and my friend Daniel, we started turning up late uh, to avoid this time. And we would just walk in and be like, icebreaker's done, but my, my ice doesn't need to be broken. I'm just fine. <laughs> But one particular month, we turned up, we missed the icebreaker, Uh, we'd played the games, we'd sung the songs, and the speaker stood up and they said, 
go and find someone that you don't know. <laughs> oh, man. So I can't remember if, it, if I found this girl or this girl found me, but however it was, we ended up uh, as a pair. And the speaker said, what we're going to do is you, we, we're going to have 10 minutes now where you're going to listen to God. And in that time, you're going to uh, specifically listen for a word for your partner, a word of knowledge. God is going to speak to you and say something to you that will be relevant uh, for your partner. So for 10 minutes, I pleaded uh, with God uh, to say something to me. After five minutes, nothing was coming. I started repenting of things I'd never heard of, just in case that was blocking the way uh, for, the, for the word that I was missing. But nothing came after the 10 minutes. My partner went first, and she said something so eloquent and uh, really on point for me, and it was really lovely, and it was very moving. It was a nice time. I looked around the room, and there were other partners and pairs having this amazing time. They were hugging, they were crying, and it was so lovely to see, but I still had absolutely nothing for this girl. Now, I was brought up in church my whole life, uh, so I was a church kid. I knew uh, that about honesty and integrity, so I knew exactly what I needed to do uh, in this time. I made it up, and... <laughs> and and so what I did was I played the odds. I, had, I, was with this, I was partnered with this girl. I had a sister. I knew that my sister would often have kind of conflicts with her friends uh, that would kind of last a day or two and then kind of move on and it was, everything was just fine. And so I kind of said to this girl, I feel like there's a friend that you need to be reunited with. Maybe you need to forgive. Uh, that's just kind of what I'm seeing. <clears throat> It wasn't great, but I passed uh, the, the test of that day. We've been working through a series called I See, uh, looking at examples of God speaking uh, to individuals or communities uh, to give a vision for their future. We've seen God give visions to Solomon, uh, to Micaiah, to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. But here in the passage that Bruce just read for us, there is no booming voice from the sky. There's no prophet who turns up and just cuts through uh, the ice. And there is uh, no angel that just appears. But there is a decision to be made, and God is going to speak. Sometimes, like in my story, we would love to be given a vision of what to do, or what to say, or which way to go, and it doesn't come. I don't know about you, uh, but I can then be left thinking what is wrong with me? And I'd imagine some, maybe lots, will empathize with that story. You hear stories of incredible life-changing moments where God has spoken, and you kind of feel like you're left with the kind of the, God's afterthoughts or the scraps of what God's got left to say. You read through the Bible, and we've gone through this series, and you feel as though God is talking to everyone except for us. <clears throat> When I was younger, I was at a church where there was an altar call at the end of the service. Uh, I got into a habit of going up for altar calls just, just to kind of experience it. Sometimes you got a free book out of it, and, and that was good for me. <laughs> On this occasion, I was at my grandparents' church in uh, Ely, uh, which is in Cambridgeshire. Has anyone ever been to Ely? Yeah, if you've, if you've never been, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. <laughs> they had a guest preacher... I hope my nana doesn't now listen to this. <laughs> he asked us to, to come up to the front, and he was going to pray for us. So as was my habit, I made my way up, and he started praying uh, down the line. 
and he started to my right and made his way down. Now, as he prayed, there'd be someone stood behind that, the person because when he prayed, uh, he, the Holy Spirit would um, overwhelm this person to the point that they would go down, and the expression is uh, fall down in the spirit or slain in the spirit. And so they would fall down. So there'd be a person behind to catch uh, the person as they went down. I don't know what their qualifications were, but they were there to catch. <laughs> Uh, as they went down the line, everybody uh, was, going, was going down to the point where when it got to me, this guy still had a 100% record of people who he had hit the ground as he had prayed for them. So he gets to me, uh, hand on the forehead, boom, starts praying for me. And once again, like, I am just, I'm complete, like, God, please just let me go down. Like... <laughs> I can't, this is embarrassing otherwise. But after a while, again, I realized, like, this is not happening. I'm a person of honesty with the church raised in it, integrity. But I faked it. I I hoped that there was someone behind me. I hadn't seen them. I faked it. Uh, it, It's it's what we call a courtesy drop. He keeps his 100% records. I get a rest, no questions asked, and everyone's happy. I'm wondering if I should just stop now. (laughs) But in all seriousness, I share that story, which is a 100% true story, although I didn't get a book on that occasion. I share that story because I know that there are some here wondering, when is God going to speak to me? And you and I are not alone in that wandering. King David in Psalm 13 says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Mother Teresa, the saint, says, Jesus has a very special love for you. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and do not see Listen and do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer but does not speak. You are not alone if you feel that way. And that is why I start here uh, this morning. No matter where you fit on the spectrum, let us see that God speaks in a variety of different ways with, uh, and differs from person and time. Sometimes it's big and obvious and sometimes it is small and subtle. And as we move uh, and, and look uh, at the story uh, that we read, I just want to quickly highlight that God speaks in various ways throughout the Bible. Uh, 1,015 times God speaks directly to the recipient. 769 times God spoke through a prophet. 141 times through writing. 86 times through pictures. 64 times through reporting. 54 times through angels. Once through a bush and once through a donkey. I know because I counted. (laughs) At this point in the story of the early church, it has been deemed acceptable to preach and convert Gentiles, so those who weren't Jewish, uh, to Christianity. In other words, outsiders could come inside. And it has gone well. Gentiles are converting and they're building churches. But as you can guess, with growth and different backgrounds coming together comes complications and disagreements. Thank the Lord we know nothing about that. 
There is a dispute, there's two sides, there's a decision that needs to be made, a path for the church to follow, a need for God to speak wisdom into the story. There's a question, do you have to become ethnically Jewish in order to belong to the family of Abraham? We can become very attached to the way of doing things. Maybe you're like me in a supermarket and you you take your two or three or four items and you go to the uh, 10 items or less uh, aisle and you you think this is going to go quickly and you see the person in front of you and they start putting their things onto the the conveyor, the belt, and you start to count. (laughs) And, And it's kind of seven, it's eight, it's nine, 10, 11, 12, and it's anarchy. If things continue this way, there needs to be a certain way of doing things. Otherwise, it's going to fall apart. Here in the story, the Christian Pharisees believe that Gentiles wanting to be Christians must first convert to Judaism and keep the law of Moses, including circumcision, as has always been the way. But Peter says in verse 10, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? In other words, why are you trying to make them keep the law that we can't keep? The law only reveals that we are lawbreakers. We need grace. Therefore, the question of this passage is bigger than we read here on the surface about circumcision. The question is, how do we now tell the story of the people of God, God's law or God's grace? How do we now tell the story? Because the message hasn't changed, but the story is on the move and there is a supernatural vision from God. There is no supernatural vision uh, from God with the answer. There is no prophet with a message. There is just a group of faithful followers with different opinions like us, trying to figure out what God is trying to say. Sorry, on my page I've written, there's just a group of faithful followers with different onions, (laughs) like us trying to figure out, trying to figure out what I'm supposed to say. And they determined that God is saying that upholding the Jewish laws, including circumcision, was not essential for salvation or to receive eternal life. This story appears to have links to the book of Galatians, uh, which is a letter a few books away written by Paul, the same Paul uh, that we hear about here in this story. In that letter, he writes, by observing the law, no one will be justified. In other words, the law will not save Only by grace are we saved. Have you ever made a decision and realized afterwards it would have been better to have consulted a few more people about that choice? If even maybe a small thing. I'll give you a small example. Me and my sister used to go and watch my dad play soccer. And we would kind of stand on the sidelines. At halftime, he would often give us kind of like a little bit of money and we'd go to the local supermarket and we'd buy our lunch and then come back. When we were there, we realized that if we kind of did it just right, we could buy some of the store brand like 7-Up or um, Sprite. It was like 10p, which is like 15 cents. And then we could shake it up and we had all this space and we could see how high we could get it to go everywhere. Uh, we got 45 minutes to kill. So we did that. Great time. Finished that. I see a soccer goal um, that's not being used. 
kind of about as far as that wall is over there. And I say to my sister, Beth, I'm going to run and see if I can jump and reach it and swing on that goalpost or on the crossbar. So I run. And as I'm in midair, I realize my hands are soaked with the Sprite slash 7-Up. And I grab on. I swing. Now, if you've ever tried to hold on to something with wet hands, you will know the end of the story. That for some reason, thanks to life, you are allowed to reach the top of your swing, but no more. And so I lost at that point the grip that I had had. I landed on my back with a thud. And I wish I'd maybe just stop to say to anybody else, do you think this is a good idea? You see, we need other people. <clears throat> None of the New Testament writers ever intended or imagined that people would read their letters alone. When they were read, they were always read aloud in a group setting. Their content was thought about, debated, questioned, discussed, argued over, and studied together. Conclusions about their meaning were reached as a collective. And that is what the early church are doing here in this passage. The community are working out God's vision together. Michael Polanyi was a Jewish chemist who lived and worked in Berlin during the rise of Hitler. Just before the Second World War started, he fled Germany to England, avoiding the fate of so many other Jews. But the war had obviously changed him. And after it ended, he left his career as a chemist and went to live and work among the ordinary tradesmen and women of his town. He was fascinated by the way they acquired personal knowledge the kind of wisdom and understanding that could only be gained by an apprentice working elbow to elbow with a master craftsman. This knowledge, he noted, was different from that prom uh, promoted by the modern education system of pre-war Germany, a system that had spawned plenty of graduates from the lecture halls but hadn't produced people who refused to participate in the genocide of the Jews. What Polanyi was coming to realize and to argue is that moral formation cannot be developed in isolation. Moral wisdom is practical wisdom and is dependent on community. It is impossible to live a virtuous life outside the context of a community. Therefore, the real question uh, for us is not how do I maintain my independence as our culture uh, tells us to do, but rather what sort of community do I need to be part of to live the kind of life that will reflect God's character? A life of faithfulness, forgiveness, generosity, and wisdom. And that is, for us, the church. The church believes in community. We believe that the individual thrives best within community and that truth is found together in debate, in discussion, in lives shared. Therefore, the task of every church is that of the creation of people who are better than they would have been without the support of one another. So we gather to sing our songs, to worship together, to learn, to see straight, to rehearse our values, and to remind ourselves that we are called to be holy. We gather together to remember who we are, the people of God, the followers of Jesus, trying to live a life like Jesus. My dad used to give me a little challenges when I was younger, and one of those challenges was to uh, find out what WWJD stood for. 
After asking around, I found the answer with my youth pastor. The answer is, what would Jesus do? Uh, I quite liked it. I kind of quite resonated with this message, and I quickly bought uh, one of the WWJD bracelets. Who had a WWJD bracelet? Yes. Not on my own. Mine was like a dark red. It looked good. Did anyone have a dark red one? Dark red? Just me? All right. Um, I thought it looked great, and I liked it. It kind of fell flat, though, when someone asked me how I would know what Jesus would do if it wasn't written in the Bible. And I realized that actually, I don't know, I didn't have the first clue what Jesus would do uh, by myself. Just And there's lots of circumstances where that is true. Would Jesus serve as a chaplain to the armed forces? Would Jesus speak at a local mosque if invited? Would Jesus join multi-faith discussion groups? Would Jesus drive a car? Would Jesus drink beer? Would... I had a giggle. Would... <laughs> Would Jesus buy a house? Would Jesus offset carbon footprint? Would Jesus vote, take vacations, turn off his phone during church? Would Jesus turn the other cheek if he was mugged? How do we know what following Jesus looks like today? Even some of the stories that we kind of feel are so obvious and apparent. Would Jesus lie to help a friend? Just like the early church, it is through the discipline of following Christ together and developing habits and practices that echo his that our thinking is transformed. And as a community, God speaks and we discern his will. We all have lived different lives and seen God work in different places and in different contexts. My relationship with God is different to your relationship with God. I know things that you don't and you know things uh, that I don't. You've been places I haven't and I've been places that you haven't. Some of us are rich, some of us are poor, some of us are married, some of us are not. Some of us are Canadian, some of us are not. Some of us like things that others do not. To fully know God, we cannot do it on our own. We need all the stories and we need all the backgrounds. We need all the contexts. We need all the visions and the wisdom to come together. To look at the issues that surround us in the world that are not explicitly addressed in the Bible and decide what God's best is for those, we need one another. And 1 Corinthians says, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. We are the body of Christ uh, together. We need one another. I need you. You need me. We need one another. So whether you've had a vision as vivid as Ezekiel or Isaiah or Jeremiah, and that is awesome if you have, or whether you have never had a vision, and that is okay. Whether you have made up a vision because you wanted to be included, eh, maybe okay. <laughs> it's okay. May you know that God loves you. May you know that God is still speaking today through people just like you. May you know that you hold a valuable place in this community. And whether you hear the booming voice of God or not, God is speaking to us in community. After the service today, we have a business meeting. We are a Baptist church. One of the key distinctions of our denomination is that we, uh, that as members or partners as we call it here, you can come and participate in the vision of the church. 
as we determine as a community, as the body of Christ, where God is leading us and what he is saying to us. We need one another. We need your voice uh, in those discussions. And I just want to end with a quote uh, from uh, Mother Teresa, the same Mother Teresa who says, I don't hear the voice of God. Mother Teresa says, in the silence of the heart, God speaks. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you so much uh, that you love us, no matter the background, no matter the context. And thank you that uh, through us as a community, you are speaking and you are moving and you are doing things. Thank you that uh, this community brings purpose. Thank you that our our background and our story uh, gives us purpose. And I just pray uh, this morning we just know just how much you love us. In your name, amen.